This is the voice of Carnage, and you are listening to Carnage Cast. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Carnage Cast. I'm Tyler, and with me is Dr. Nick Palmer, uh, one of the Iron GM contenders this year at Gen Con. Hi, Nick. How are you? Hello, Tyler. I'm doing well. Thank you. So, Iron GM, you've been participating in this for a couple years now. Can you tell us what it's about? Yeah, um, Iron GM is a tournament. They have regional competitions and then a national competition at Gen Con. And what they try to do is, uh, well, they don't try, they do. They, they turn game mastering into a competitive sport and give out prizes and put on a, a huge show during the whole, whole uh, process of the uh, competition. Um, what they do is uh, they come up with a couple of different story element themes and they present those uh, complete with uh, you know the envelope please and reveal what the uh, secret ingredients are and the game masters have about an hour to create characters and come up with their ideas and at the end of the hour you run an adventure and uh, your players grade you at the end of it and you see how well you did they do all the scores and tallies uh, and then announce the top three winners uh, at the end of the competition. Okay, and th- but this isn't restricted just to Gen Con, though. This is happening all at conventions all around. Right, they do regional competitions where those are semifinals, and the winner, uh, which I won the one at uh, TotalCon, is called an Iron Contender. And the contenders all get sent to Gen Con, and uh, they flew us out there and put us up in a hotel, and then uh, we went and competed on the national stage with all of the uh, other uh, winners and previous uh, Iron GMs and did that at uh, Gen Con. But yeah, the regional competitions definitely are, are part of it for certain. Mm-hmm. How, did, how did you get involved in this, uh, this competition? I heard about it from some of the folks over at TotalCon uh, a few years ago at Carnage and they said, oh, uh, we're doing this thing uh, at the next TotalCon. You should really think about uh, doing it. I think that it would be up your alley. And I looked at it and I was like, Iron GM, well, this sounds interesting. I'm like, yeah, you know, I think that I do want to do that. And I went ahead and went down to TotalCon and competed. And that was the first year. I liked it so much that I went to Gen Con and uh, did the competition and then uh, went back to uh, TotalCon the year next, which was this year in February of 2012, and I won the uh, uh, competition at TotalCon and then uh, went out to Gen Con this August and competed there. And what particularly about uh, IMGM is speaking to you? Well, I think that uh, it's because it's something that I've never done in terms of style-wise. I mean, a lot of GMs are like, oh, I'm a great off-the-cuff GM. You know, I, I, I do all my stuff off the, on the fly. Uh, that's never really been my style. I'm a long prep and long campaign guy. You know, my home campaigns typically run about two years long, plus or minus. Uh, my stuff that I run at conventions is usually... Uh, well prepared and well researched. That doesn't necessarily mean that everything I run at a con is, uh, you know, completely over the top, uh, uh, 
uh, play tested and researched and, and prepped and, and all of that. Uh, but I definitely put a lot of work into my convention events in terms of making sure that the characters are interesting and that the games are playable and that um, it'll be a good time for the people who are participating. Um, this was something that just bucked all of that. You know, this is not two years of prep time. This is not uh, making sure that you've got uh, you know, your convention scenarios ironed out and ready to go and you know, uh, starched and prepped and, and ready to wear. This was uh, off the cuff, complete uh, at a whim and out of control. You know, here's your elements, go to it. Then, um, you know, other people telling you what you've got to run not you telling them what you want to run or are going to run. So that difference and the dichotomy against what I normally run and play was very appealing to me. Uh, they say that uh, opposites attract them, and that was definitely true in this case. And I found out that, um, you know, it is. It's a different skill set in terms of running the games. And it was not a skill set that I necessarily had really well developed. So that was also the challenge is saying, okay, this is something that uh, will improve me as a game master. It is a different set of game mastering skills. I would like to learn these and I want to master them. So that was the other appeal of it was uh, being able to jump in there and, and learn something new. Because after you know 30 years as a game master, you get kind of stale in, in your approach towards things. So this was uh, definitely a way to, to reinvigorate and inspire me in, in, in new and different ways. The final thing that I liked about it is that there is loot. Uh, you know, they give away huge piles of loot at every uh, Iron GM contest, whether it's the regional or the nationals, and that uh, is also good. You know, participating is always fun, but winning, you get loot. So that's a good thing. Nice. Congratulations. So your your journey this year really started at Total Con. What I heard from the people who attended this year is it's really a big production, Iron GM. Uh, definitely so. I mean, they do you know sound lights and uh, the whole uh, presentation. Uh, they encourage the game masters to have big entrances when they come in. So you know, the guy was completely dressed up as a clown, you know, complete with the squeaky nose. <laughs> And uh, one guy had uh, uh, a couple other costumes were there. I personally dressed up in uh, uh, a ninja outfit with a black leather jacket and had uh, barbed wire all wrapped around it. So I was kind of, you know, barbed wire wrapped sleeves and uh, crisscrossing chains and barbed wire across my front and back and, and down my right arm, which I figured was appropriately uh, uh, irony. Mm -hmm. um, and... Uh, one of the other competitors uh, decided that uh, when we were all up on stage that he wanted to get a hug. And I said, okay, I'll give you a hug. So <laughs> he went, oh, and yes, that's real barbed wire, folks. So uh, it was, you know, it's fun. You, you know, there's a little bit of spectacle and show definitely involved with that. And they definitely get the crowd that's participating, rolling along and, you know, drum, uh, have them all do their drum rolls before they're going to announce things and uh, shouting and hooping and hollering for sure. Uh, yes, definitely a spectacle. Nice. And does does that translate into the game you're running itself? I think so. Um, the uh, the one thing uh, that is definitely true is that I think that you have to go big or go home. And that's definitely something. Uh, you know, when I won at TotalCon, it was because I went big. And 
the times uh, other competitions that I've done where I haven't placed in one, um, definitely not quite as big in terms of the game. And that doesn't necessarily mean that it's, it's over the top. It means that the things that you're doing are more at the, uh, you know, the epic level. It's got to be big. It's got to be impactful. It has to impress. Um, you have to definitely run games that are um, more inspired in terms of uh, the events and conditions that the players are encountering versus things that are uh, more melodramatic and um, more uh, uh, thought-provoking, I think. The, the big action and big situations tend to do better. And that's something that I ran into at Gen Con. Um, I had a table of really great players. I mean, they were all great players, all experienced, all willing to do uh, whatever. Um, and they ended up deciding that they wanted to run a Revolutionary War era Lovecraft game. Mm. So I was like, okay, we can do this. But it was very difficult to make that big, you know, to mm -hmm. it big and keep all the story elements in. And that was, uh, it was hard to do. And it was a good game. Uh, you know, the, everybody had fun, but I did, it wasn't great. You know, you couldn't really get to that level of uh, great spectacle that, uh, that definitely gets you the points and, and leaves that image with the players of, wow, that's never happened before in a game. That was so cool. Uh, it, was, it was difficult to get there. Uh, mm. Okay. So, you're you're at Gen Con. They're, they're opening up the envelope and reading off what you're going to get. What's what what did you get in precisely, and and what were you thinking as you heard those things being read off? Um, I was thinking, um, oh crap, and not quite in those words. Um, and the three things that they read off at Gen Con were Senate, Sea Hag and siege and that was like okay uh interesting uh this is going to be tough and i definitely think that those are the three toughest topics that they've thrown out uh so far um and the one thing that i try not to do is take an obvious approach at every turn and that's something that uh definitely doesn't again get your points you know you've got to you've got to be novel in the way that you uh, do these things and if you're not novel then you have to again you know go big and go for the spectacle so um yeah sea hag senate and siege uh, those were uh, i think for me at least the, the definitely the most difficult ones that i've had to compete with um, i think that i did okay with the senate and i did okay with the sea hag but uh where i didn't think that i shined uh the best was with the siege aspect of it. I, I, it wasn't big enough. You know, it wasn't impactful enough. And in my opinion, you know, I definitely feel that way now. Uh, but at the time, it's like, okay, you know, this is going to be tough, and we'll get through it. And I try not to really have any uh, uh, preconceived notions or or goals uh, other than to you know include the elements and include them in a novel and interesting way. Uh, but those those three definitely had me worried. I was actually more worried about the Senate than I was on the siege, and that one was pretty easy to slip in in a you know in a different interesting way. Um, but the, yeah, the competition itself, uh, everybody kind of looked around in the Iron GM circles. There was like, 
whoa, uh, this is going to be tough. Mm -hmm. And even the, uh, you know, the, the masters of the craft, the guys who have won, you know, several times and, and who I, you know, aspire to be like as well. Um, you know, those guys also were like, wow, this one's, this is a, this is a tough one. So, uh, definitely was a, a curious scenario for certain. Mm -hmm. And does, does, uh, that sort of high level thought process about sort of considering what you're doing and, and not self editing, but sort of, you know, observing what you're doing, is that happening throughout the entire game? Because this is, you're sort of rolling off the cuff more than usual. Oh, certainly. Um, they put a break in a couple hours into the game, and I really don't worry about uh, the elements too much until you get to the break. Uh, and that's really when I I start to get concerned if something hasn't popped up yet. Uh, otherwise, uh, yeah, it's just something. Um, I personally sit there and I write down on uh, index index cards. I uh, just put down the different elements on index cards, maybe a few notes about what maybe the players have said or commented on, or uh, some ideas that I've had that popped up. Um, you know, the the thing with the sea hags uh, or sea hag is that you know I wanted to have a, a little coven of them, so you have the three, and then you know get they get their uh, powerful scrying eyes, and you know uh, you get that more epic level of uh, interaction. So I definitely wanted to have the little sea hag coven. Um, they wanted to do Lovecraft, so uh, I had to make them very Deep One-esque, you know, in that sense. And I had their minions and uh, uh, kind of Coven Guardians be all Deep Ones, so that worked out okay. And, you know, just little notes like that uh, I'll put down on the different uh, uh, index cards and talk about just to inspire myself or again if the players mention something I'm like ooh, that's cool yeah we'll definitely have to include that i'll put that in there and i also interview the players before the game starts um, and kind of get a feel for what they like you know what are some of their favorite stories or favorite characters or or different things that they like to do you know do they like intrigue over combat do they like action adventure over romance and you know what are their preferences in terms of gameplay so i take all that stuff as well and kind of shuffle it in and um, uh, put those aspects in as well and i try to pull at least one or two things from what each of the player interview cards uh, what they write down on there into the actual game style um, so for this one for example I, all of the npcs who popped up uh, their favorite characters that they put down from different uh, stories or throughout history, I just incorporated those characters into the different NPCs. So they became all the NPCs. Uh, and I try to uh, you know, juggle in those different uh, things that way. Um, and that's pretty much how I maintain and monitor the different elements uh, throughout the game. And then, again, during the break, if something isn't popping up, then I have to make sure that I uh, am work a little extra hard to get that in because there's only a limited amount of time left. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize that you got to interview the, the players beforehand as part of the prep. That's Oh, no, that's what I do. Oh, that, you do that. Who knows what the other GMs do? That's just what I do. Yeah, I have uh, I fill out uh, I have little cards that I, I have uh, built. You know, what's your name? How long you've been gaming? What kind of games do you play? Mm -hmm. uh, what type of uh, gameplay do you like? And, you know, rank these uh, in order. Um, what are your favorite stories? What are your favorite characters? Um, and uh, just kind of put that stuff down, just to get a feel for who they are as a gamer and and what kind of stories they like. Because you know, if somebody's putting, if they put down. Uh, 
the Lord of the Rings, the Hobbit, and the uh, saga of Elric and, and Melnabone, then that tells me something versus somebody who puts down uh, the AT, MacGyver, and uh, $6 million man. Uh, you know, that's, those are very different stories and styles of uh, play that are probably going to need to be adjusted to. So I, I like doing that. And I did something different this year. Um, at TotalCon this past year, I had a, a group of uh, younger gamers. Uh, they were all you know, 12 to 15 years old. And uh, a couple of them had played the previous year. Uh, a couple of them were really involved in RPGA and, and TC realms and, uh, you know, the organized play groups, so they knew what they were doing. Uh, the other ones were, uh, you know, buddies who were also gamers, and they uh, were playing uh, and wanted to just do this because it looked cool. Um, so their parents were there, and you're not allowed to talk to the players during the first hour of the Iron GM competition, and so you can't talk to them. But there, there was no rules against talking to their parents. So I was having conversations with their parents, and their parents were relaying some of that information to the, to the players. Or the players just might happen to overhear the conversation I was having with the dad uh, on the side. And with this Iron GM session. Last year, I brought a laptop and speakers, and they had a text-to-speech program, so I was just sitting there having a... I would type in whatever I wanted to tell the players, and then it would speak out to them in an eerie little kid electronic voice. I used the, you know, like the little Timmy or the little Tommy voice uh, for the little boy uh, freaky tone and, and had it all amped up so that it was kind of piercy loud and would uh, reverberate across the table. And against the din of the uh, you know, competition room. And that worked out okay. Uh, but this year I decided to, since I was flying out, I couldn't really take uh, a full table set up with me. Um, I actually got an assistant. So I had one of the D20 girls uh, help me out. And um, when, during the intro, when they announce everybody, uh, she walked in instead of me. And then I walked in behind in my doctor's outfit and, you know, slapped on some plastic gloves and had the surgeon's mask and looked like I was coming in for surgery. And she was passing out candy and handing things around. And then uh, during the interview process, you get to say three words, or during the uh, first hour process, you get to say three words uh, to the players. And my words were, my assistant, Sarah. And she sat down and uh, she actually handed out the interview cards and did all the interviews with the players and did all the character generation. And I just walked around and talked to the other players and did all that. And it worked out really, really well. Um, and occasionally I would come over and tell her something and she would relay it to the table. And I pretty much let her run the uh, interview process and the, uh, the character generation. Um, and I came back uh, towards the end when it was getting closer to the end of the hour and we were getting ready to start the game. So that worked out nicely um, to have that there, and also is a good intimidation factor for the other game masters. You know, like, well, of course, I have an assistant, and I have no problems dealing with my players now because they can I can talk to them through this. So that worked out nicely. Um, there was, uh, and that hour is uh, oftentimes tough. You know, the first time that I did it, you know, you can't talk to the players, and you're trying to get characters made and come up with your story and the whole bit. Um, it can be tough. Um, note writing is not necessarily the most efficient form of communication. Um, so, you know, having those parents there that last game and realizing that 
an assistant is not against the rules. I think that I'm going to have somebody else sit down and run the character generation for me. And it worked out nicely. You know, having this, another gamer and uh, sit down and, and run that process was a uh, killer. So I may try that again, but I, I oftentimes try not to repeat myself. So I don't know what I'm going to do next time. Develop telepathy? I could work on that. <laughs> it's always room for improvement, right? Yeah. Um, I, you know, I thought about sign language, but that would require that player uh, as well. I'm like, oh, well, what's the odds of having a player at the table who can sign? Like, I don't know. Yeah. That would be cool, though. It would. It would. You you mentioned um, at TotalCon you, you found yourself uh, jamming for some, some younger players who were coming from organized play. Is there sort of a trend in who you're finding at the table, or is it as random as the people you find at a convention? Oh, definitely as random as the people that you find at a convention, for certain. You know, the only things that I hope for when I walk into that tournament, and, and the only thing that, you know, is on my wish list is that I get a table close to the edge. I don't like having a, I don't want to be on a table that's in the center. Because then you've got GMs and tables all around you screaming and hollering and, and running their games. I like having a table on the edge because it just reduces that outside noise and influence. And that's really the only thing that I, I want and hope for. Outside of that, it's the player's game and whatever players you get, uh, it's up to you as a J game master to run the game that they're going to find enjoyable and have a good time in. Having, having gone through this four times now, what GM muscles are you stretching and which ones are you discovering you that you hadn't used previously? Well, definitely the ability to play without plan, um, to follow the will of the players and the ideas that they present uh, versus the story that I want to tell. And with a convention scenario, it's a st typically a story that I want to tell. You know, there's a, I've, I've written it and I've playtested it and there are certain things that you can and can't do because that's just what's in the scenario that you're presenting. Um, and if you build it well, that doesn't feel like railroading and it doesn't feel like a closed box. But uh, because you're in a constricted time frame and in a single event type of uh, uh, a game with the convention slot, especially, uh, there is, I feel that there's a lot less of room for following player whim. And again, that's just not something that I've ever really done as a player. So that's the, the biggest and the most, uh, uh, I guess, the most developed one now is running according to player's whim. Uh, the other ones that are there is, and this is something that I've always been a fan of, is uh, I definitely use a lot more random table generation. So uh, what is the MacGuffin that is in the secret box? You know, I just roll D100 and consult the uh, original AD&D DM's guide for what magic item table it goes on, and then, oh, it's a sphere of annihilation. Well, that'll be interesting. <laughs> That is kind of how also, you know, definitely playing off the random table um, type of uh, uh, tools. So those get a lot more uh, exercise in this type of game. Um, and I find that that also keeps me on my toes and provides that unexpected uh, turns and twists that uh, keep the players interested as well. In terms of the, the muscles that are getting flexed is the ability to incorporate 
new ideas um, that aren't yours. So while I always will listen to the players and I always think and follow, if a player has a, an interesting idea that's better than what I had planned, then I'm going to do that. I'm going to, I'm going to take advantage of that and jump on it. But again, in a convention scenario, um, those are typically well and the ideas that the players come up with are, sounds totally arrogant. Uh, the ideas that the players come up with are oftentimes not better than the scenario that I'm presenting because they're well thought out, they're prepared, they're planned, uh, they've been written and edited and play tested. And just because of that, there's a, a greater sense of cohesion and quality to the adventure and the, the situations that the players are being put in. Um, that's not to say that a, a player group might approach a scenario event um, with a approach or with a different take than another group would, would do. That's that's totally happening. You know, I've run the same game uh, half a dozen times at different conventions, and never has the game turned out the same way every single time. And sometimes they go left, and sometimes they go and those are two different paths. Uh, but like Led Zeppelin says, you know, there's still time to change the road they're on in the long run. They still get to the end and the climax of the adventure. But how they get there and how they deal with that climax is going to be different based on the path that they took. But it's still uh, a closed system. you know. Um, so with this, it's not a closed system. It's, it's very, very open-ended. And the only goal I have in mind is to follow what they're going to do and to take their input. So for example, in this last competition at Gen Con, they were talking about whether they wanted to be in the Cold War or whether they wanted to be in the Revolutionary War. And one of the guys mentioned Sea uh, Hack being a submarine. I'm like, that's it. Uh, I, I've, and scenario in my mind was written at that point. I'm like, all right, I got it. I know exactly what's going to happen. Your siege is underwater. You know, you're stuck in this submarine, and the deep ones are, are sieging you. And uh, that's uh, uh, going to be the entire the basis of the scenario. Okay, cool. Um, got it. Um, and the or they would be going after a submarine called the Sea Hag that was the enemies, and they'd have to get into it. You know, but there was going to be that whole submarine aspect to it, and that would be the isolation aspect of the uh, uh, game. I'm like, cool, that'd be a good one. What, if anything, are you finding that, uh, your experiences at RNGM are in, informing your your at home and other convention games? I think from the at home, uh, the last that I ran was very, I had actually, ironically, I had started out with it with the intention of not preparing that much for the game itself. The world was extremely detailed. The construction of magic and all the different uh, groups and the locations was all very well developed. But once the world was built, I kind of quit working on it. And that was just the plan with that game. And what the players decided to do and how they decided to go was was how the game was going to be run. Um, I had already kind of started down that road because, again, it, I knew that it was something that I hadn't really done before with the campaign, uh, and I wanted to try that. In terms of the convention scenarios that I'm running, I don't actually, uh, I haven't changed too much in terms of that. You know, if I'm going to run a game at a convention, I want it to be well prepared, well thought, and of the highest quality possible. 
I, I don't want to necessarily run a prepare a scenario and then throw it out the window um, because I want to be true to the blurb that I put in there and I want it to be uh, high quality. Now, I will run player's choice events, which essentially mimic the Iron GM structure where I have every player story element or a topic, you know, a person, place, or a thing, and uh, then I take those suggestions and we run an adventure. Now I do it in a little bit more condensed environment. I don't run it over six hours. I do it over, uh, you know, a slot, and I'll probably do that on the uh, pre-event uh, Carnage Thursday night, um, since my slots are all complete for the uh, for the next Carnage Noir. Uh, event, but uh, yeah, so I'll probably do that Thursday night and just run a player's choice event and uh, do that. And I do run those now, and that's definitely a change in terms of my convention approach. Is that I'll do pickup games that are played that mimic that Iron GM format and kind of help keep my skills uh, going. And so you're keeping yourself limber all year round. Oh, I try to definitely. Uh, flexibility is a good thing, and you know you have to stretch and practice those to be uh, supple and ready for the competition time. Mm -hmm. So you, you mentioned previously a couple, relying on a couple different tools at various points in your INGM career. In addition to practicing, are you finding that you're, you're building a, a toolkit of things you want to have at the table no matter what? Well, I've always had a, a penchant for picking up random generation devices. Uh, just because they're fun, and again, when those players do throw a curveball to you, you have something there. I have uh, definitely kept my eyes a little more open and attuned for those types of things. I picked this weird thing called uh, the Adventure Generation Deck, uh, which is eight pages with eight cards on it, and you know you roll two d eight to determine which page item you get on and it could be anything from an 8-bit picture of a skeleton to a little short blurb of uh, a plot hook. I also found at a garage sale a few, uh, like last year sometime this thing called the domino divination deck and it essentially has domino tiles on it which I find to be completely useless but around edge of the uh, card, it's, you know, they're, they're regular cards, um, and around the domino images in the center, it's got things like uh, you, you are having issues with law, or your relatives are um, seeking you out, or uh, your love life is very interesting now, and just these random little blurbs that would be, you could put to make like a horoscope type thing. And so that's been a really, really interesting way and fun thing to pick up to be able to you know, flip out to uh, say, all right, uh, here's what this NPC is about. Let me turn two of these cards over or three cards over because they typically have something for the past, the present, the future on each of the cards. So, you know, where did they come from? Uh, what are they doing right now or what's their issue right now? And what is the character's goal? Past, present, future. Flip those three cards out, get those three items and... Now you've got a full NPC uh, background and motivation, uh, or enough to enough basic information to be able to build one on the fly very quickly. So those are the types of tools that I definitely keep my eyes out for and, and uh, watch for, especially uh, you know in the the random corners of the uh, gaming world and garage sales around. 
and yeah, so I, I definitely have uh, been keeping an eye on. But in the end, my Bible of game mastering is that original AD&D Dungeon Master's Guide, which has more random tables and great information in it than any other book I've ever picked game mastering. So I, I keep that one at hand at all times. What's the most consulted page in that book for you? Uh, over time, uh, you know, the strumpet table is always a nice one but, <laughs> and deserves an honorable mention uh, just because it's in there. But uh, the tables that I go to most frequently are the magic items, uh, random generation table, um, and being able to, the different uh, miscellaneous items and artifact tables, especially for when you're trying to run those short, uh, big, high-impact games. Um, that's where I'll turn to the most frequently. Outside of that, uh, there's also some good tables in there for character generation, where they deal with the percentage chance that somebody at a higher level than one will have a magic item. And that's something that I also turn to pretty regularly when I'm uh, running games uh, on the fly or, or uh, picking stuff out. I'm like, okay, what is the odds that a fourth level ranger will have a magic spear or sword? Well, that would be 8% per level or 10% per level. And what's the odds that a magic user will have a magic ring at, at third level? Okay, that's uh, 12%. Okay, let's uh, roll the dice and see if they have it. So when I'm generating NPCs or uh, building up PCs at a table, that's definitely one that gets looked at uh, very commonly as well. So magic items and uh, for the miscellaneous magic item table and then magic items for PCs as well. Right. What's next in your Iron GM career? Well, I have to uh, slink back to TotalCon as the reigning Iron contender with out uh, a win at Gen Con. Um, the ironic thing about that competition none of the contenders have placed yet. Really? Really, really. In the year in the year the several years that they've been doing this and having the uh, regional Iron GM events, uh, none of the contenders have placed. What that is to prove is to the high quality and crazy level of competition that you see at Gen Con. Mm-hmm. No offense to the other game masters uh, here in the, the northern New England area. There are some really great ones and some folks that I love playing in their games at all times. This is now everybody like that from the entire country with plus two uh, on top of it. And it's, it's, it's very humbling you know, to, to go there and realize how good a lot of these other game masters really are. Um, and the guy who won this year was the same gentleman who won last year. Uh, so he's now won twice in a row. And uh, that's, uh, you know, there, it's, it's hard to top. I mean, he's, he's got it down. He had the, his players, their final moments of the uh, competition, they were escaping off of a giant flying city that was on the back of a crab. Uh, on hippogriffs, uh, having the Senate, uh, you know, fly away on hippogriffs at the you know, final moments as these giant guns were firing at the the flying crab city, uh, trying to take it out. So, uh, you that's part of this. That's what I'm talking about when I'm mentioning you know the spectacle. You've got to have that big. You've got to have that uh, high, high, epic level. And that doesn't mean you know that you're all playing level 15 through 25. Uh, PCs. It means that the events that you're uh, carrying out have that level of impact. Mm-hmm. You a little tiny hobbit and still participate in the uh, Battle of Five Armies. Um, 
and have an impact on it. And that's that's what it has to be. It's got to be that level of epic. And so, are you uh, as as part of your 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 year round regime? Are you looking? What what are you doing to build up that regime? Uh, well, I'm you know definitely continuing to run events at different conventions. I'll play games and uh, run those for uh, my uh, training regimen. I occasionally do that here around town uh, where I live in the Upper Valley as well. Uh, the, and if you're interested in listening, feel free to drop me a note. I'll be happy to include you in the next time I run. So that's definitely part of it. Uh, outside of that, uh, it's I think that it's not really something that you can really train for. I mean, I've run practice games, but once you realize what you have to do, um, there's really no way that you can prepare for such a random event as this. You know, not knowing the players you're going to have, not knowing what the elements are going to be, um, not knowing where you're going to be positioned on the floor. And all of that is not really something that you can prep for. The only thing that you can do is understand the basic principles and practice those of being able to run on the fly and run off the cuff. That's, uh, I think that I've kind of understood that now. I just have to do it better. <laughs> and again, the practice of it is, is so ephemeral to try to grasp onto those concepts uh, because they are so random. You never really know what you're going to get. So you could a uh, hundred uh, mock games uh, every other day between now and next TotalCon and, and next GenCon, um, and you're still not going to be ready for the actual event that you get because those players and those elements are not anywhere near what you have uh, practiced or trained for. Um, so uh, I, I guess that's a good question. I don't know. I'm going to keep doing what I've been doing with the intention of doing it better and bigger and more than I have in the past. Going big or going home. That's what it is. All right. Uh, well, we wish you the best of luck with every round of Iron GM you, you get into in 2013. Thank you. Nick, if people want to find out more about what you're doing at, for Iron GM and your, uh, your, own, your other gaming endeavors, where should they go? Probably the Carnage Facebook group. Uh, I definitely participate and hop on there and, and put announcements up on there. Um, you always entice me to cross-post on the Green Mountain Gamers, uh, and I do that as well. Um, and you can see the other stuff that I'm up to in terms of the you know, modules that I'm writing and the adventures that I'm working on on the uh, Panic Productions website. And what's that URL? It is panic, P-A-N-I-K, productions.com. Dr. Nick, thank you very much for coming on CarnageCast. Thank you, Tyler. It's been a pleasure. You've been listening to CarnageCast, a production of NNEG LLC. All rights reserved. For more information, visit us at www.carnagecon.com.